The worst thing about this lie is that it feels necessary. It's the lesser of two evils in my mind. I'd rather deal with the discomfort that comes from lying than whatever fallout may come from honesty. My goal is to live my life and to express myself in the time I have on this planet and to enjoy myself. It's a beautiful gift. Y'all come out, come out, my dears. Welcome to This Way Out, the international LGBTQ radio magazine. I'm Greg Gordon. Malaysia's religious cops bust 20 at a Kuala Lumpur Halloween party. Queer kids learn to lie for the holidays. And RuPaul's star booty before the race. All that and more this week because you've discovered This Way Out. I'm Tanya Kane Perry. And I'm Michael LeBeau. With NewsRap, a summary of some of the news in or affecting LGBTQ communities around the world for the week ending November 5th, 2022. When the authorities knocked on the door of a queer night spot in Kuala Lumpur on the evening of October 29th, they were not yelling, trick or treat. Royal Malaysian Police and the Federal Territory's Islamic Religious Department raided a Halloween party and searched about 60 people, dividing them into two groups. A police official said that 20 local Muslims were detained on charges of violating Islamic laws against cross-dressing, encouraging vice, or indecent acts in public places. The group ranged in age between 22 and 34. Queer rights activist Numan Afifi described being arrested as traumatizing and harrowing. In his words, the authorities isolated the Muslim participants and identified anyone that did not dress according to the gender that they thought them to be. It's outrageous state oppression, according to Numan, since some of those unjustly detained were simply in Halloween costumes. Private consensual adult same-gender sex is illegal under Malaysian secular laws as well. Transgender people are not recognized. The government encourages and funds conversion therapy clinics in major population centers. More than a dozen civil society organizations have condemned the raid, timed perhaps not so coincidentally ahead of national elections. According to a 2021 Ipso public opinion poll, Malaysians' views on LGBTQ people are among the worst in the world. Opposition MP Charles Santiago denounced the raid and the attitudes behind it on Twitter. His post read, This is harassment against a marginalized community. I urge authorities to cease hunting them down as if they are criminals. When will we learn to respect and accept people for who they are? The Donald Trump of the tropics has been fired. Brazilian voters rejected the unabashedly misogynistic, racist, anti-queer bullying President Jair Bolsonaro after one term. He lost his runoff election on October 30th to leftist former president Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva by about two percentage points. A self-described proud homophobe, Bolsonaro had become an embarrassment to many Brazilians for his machismo pronunciations that belittled women, minorities, and those trying to fight the COVID pandemic. Lula da Silva is a former metal worker and union leader who served as president from 2003 to 2010. 
he was credited with establishing social welfare programs that boosted millions of poor Brazilians into the middle class. His administration, unfortunately, was rife with corruption. Lula himself was convicted of corruption and money laundering, but the convictions were overturned by Brazil's Supreme Court last year. It found that the original judge in Lula's trial had colluded with prosecutors. That decision cleared the way for him to challenge Bolsonaro. Lula has attended queer events and spoken generally in support of the LGBTQ community, although he has never backed it up with legislation. As more than one rights activist put it, anyone would be better than Bolsonaro. Lula will be inaugurated on January 1st. In other Brazilian election news, Rio Grande do Sul Governor Eduardo Lice will return to office. The centrist Social Democrat is the country's first out governor. According to the Washington Blade, Lice beat a Bolsonaro-backed challenger by more than eight points. Terrorist threats and drenching rain did not deter LGBTQ people and their allies from parading with pride on October 29th in Johannesburg and Taipei. That's Johannesburg, where tens of thousands of South Africans marched in their first post-COVID pride parade. The U.S. Embassy had warned of a potential terror attack earlier in the week involving the area where the Pride Parade was to take place, although the parade itself was not mentioned. Organizers met to assess the situation and decided to go forward under the defiant theme of We Will March. Their media statement stressed that it was important for the community to assert our visibility because we are marginalized in South Africa. South Africa opened civil marriage to gay and lesbian couples in 2006, the first country on the continent to do so. Still, queer South Africans routinely suffer discrimination, hate-based harassment, and physical assaults. There was a heavy police presence to guard against any violence. The joyful event was celebrated peacefully. <laughs> Marching on to Taiwan, an estimated 120,000 people braved a heavy downpour for the sake of pride in the capital city of Taipei. Another comeback after a two-year COVID-induced hiatus. Several huge floats blared music as drag queens strutted and scantily clad riders undulated, all in the pouring rain. Taiwan scored a marriage equality first in Asia in 2019, but the job is incomplete. Activists continue to push the government to eliminate the ban on Taiwanese citizens marrying same-gender partners if they're not from a marriage equality country. A contingent from Kyiv Pride also defied the downpour to march in Taipei. Taiwanese and Ukrainians share a common bond of being threatened by much larger neighbors with trumped-up historical claims of dominance. Tokyo's government began issuing partnership certificates to queer couples on November 1st. It's not close to the rights of civil marriage, but couples with certificates can use them when they apply for local services like housing and health care. Any couple over the age of 18 who lives or works in Tokyo can apply. Some districts in Tokyo have already been issuing partnership certificates, but the new Metropolitan-wide initiative will now cover the entire capital area. Eight other Japanese prefectures have been issuing similar partnership certificates to same-gender couples. Japan is the only country in the G7 group of developed nations without marriage equality. 
Public opinion polls suggest a healthy majority support giving queer couples the right to marry. Only Japan's conservative federal government continues to fight what most people see as the inevitable. The man behind the first overtly queer country music album has joined the Heavenly Band. Patrick Haggerty and Lavender Country's 1973 album, Lavender Country, was actually funded by Gay Community Social Services of Seattle. A thousand copies were originally printed, but it has been re-released several times over the decades. Haggerty was rarely seen out of full cowboy drag from his iconic black and purple nudie suit to his classic ornate boots. His activism dated back to the days of the Gay Liberation Front. He belonged to ACT UP and even made an unsuccessful bid for public office. Haggerty and husband retired Navy officer Julius J.B. Broughton began dating in 1987 and, as Haggerty put it, they were madly and gaily in love from then on. The trailblazing country crooner died on October 31st, several weeks after suffering a severe stroke. A Lavender Country Facebook post announced, We lost a great soul. He was able to spend his final days at home, surrounded by his kids and lifelong husband. Patrick Haggerty was 78. Whether you tuck in or dangle, when you hear that glad gay tango, Finally, a story fit for a rom-com with a twist. Miss Argentina, Mariana Valera, and Miss Puerto Rico, Fabiola Valentin, merged their lives, if not their titles, in a San Juan Puerto Rico wedding ceremony on October 28th. An Instagram post with a couple posing outside the courthouse read, After deciding to keep our relationship private, we opened the doors to them on a special day. Reaction to the nuptials has been almost universally positive. Varela and Valentin met at the Miss Grand International Pageant in Bangkok two years ago and started dating in secret. Although calling it a secret may be a stretch. For example, Valentin posted videos of them together at the beach in August saying, How blessed I am to have a person in my life like you. I love you. That's some secret. That's News Wrap, global queer news with attitude for the week ending November 5th, 2022. Follow the news in your area and around the world. An informed community is a strong community. News Wrap is written by Greg Gordon, edited by Lucia Chappelle, produced by Brian DeShazer, and brought to you by you. Thank you. Help keep us in ears around the world at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast and much more. For This Way Out, I'm Michael LeBeau. Stay healthy. And I'm Tanya Kane Perry. Stay safe. Good news. Good news. Ain't that good news? Are you signed up for our e-newsletter, Inside This Way Out? We send them out every few weeks, briefly reviewing recent and previewing upcoming programming and deepening the conversation about your favorite international LGBTQ radio show. All you have to do to receive Inside This Way Out messages is email us at info 
at thiswayout.org. And be assured that we don't share or sell your email address or anything about you to anyone else, and we never will. Again, to receive the occasional Inside This Way Out and let us know you're listening, email us at info at thiswayout.org. Subbuti really is a spoof on not only exploitation films, but it's a spoof on the self-righteous. RuPaul's pre-drag race life, later in the program. But first... Lives, 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 yeah! From Save Our Children to Don't Say Gay, conservative politicians have tried to hide their trends and homophobia behind protection of the young. Protection from what, exactly? As this month's Outcasting Overtime reveals, their efforts don't protect queer kids from the damage of living a lie. It's the kind of damage that's most poignant as the holidays and family gatherings approach. This is Outcasting Overtime from Media for the Public Good, creator of Public Radio's LGBTQ youth programs. Hi, I'm Jamie. On this edition from June 2016, Outcaster Brianna talks about the worst lie she ever told. It happened when I was 13. I'm at my aunt and uncle's house for Thanksgiving, watching my little sisters play video games. My cousin turns to look at me from her seat at the table, She grins at me in that way that all relatives do when they're about to ask that question. I have a brief moment of panic before the words leave her mouth. So, any cute boys at school? I hate these questions. I hate them because I can't be honest. Yes, there are a few cute boys at school, but there's also this girl in orchestra who makes my stomach flip every time she smiles. I hate this question... And I hate that I can't answer it honestly. I shrug, tell her that there aren't any boys that have caught my attention, and try to ignore the sick feeling in my stomach. This is the worst lie I've ever told for lots of reasons. And it isn't even a flat-out lie. There weren't any boys who had caught my attention. It's a lie by omission, and it's a lie I'm still telling every time I go to a relative's house. The worst thing about this lie is that it feels necessary. It's the lesser of two evils in my mind. I'd rather deal with the discomfort that comes from lying than whatever fallout may come from honesty. I was 13 and terrified of what my family might think if I told them I didn't completely fit the image they had of me, of a completely normal kid. This lie felt necessary because it came from a place of fear that I might lose them over this. I read an article recently about why children lie. And in it, Dr. Belle DiPaolo discussed a survey in which she asked college students and adults what they felt the worst lie they had ever told was. She was surprised to find that most people talked about childhood lies, things like, I didn't eat the cookie. DiPaolo concluded, For young kids, their lie challenged their self-concept that they were a good child and that they did the right thing. That conclusion resonated with me. The thing I was lying about made me feel like I was no longer a good kid, I didn't want my family to think less of me because I wasn't straight, but I still thought less of myself for lying and for the subject of the lie. The second biggest thing I hate about this lie is how horrible I felt after. 
When you lie about something small, like taking an extra cookie, you're going to feel at least a little bit guilty about the choice you made to sneak that cookie. You made a conscious decision to take the cookie, and to lie about taking the cookie. Not to mention that if you get caught lying about the cookie, the fallout won't be too bad. But this... This wasn't something I had a choice in. I couldn't control this. I never made the decision. But because I had only ever heard bad things about queer people, I thought it was something to hide. That I had to hide. It felt, and still feels, like everything I tell my relatives about is a lie. That I am a lie. I feel guilty every time I spend time with them, every time I give non-answers and half-truths. I feel guilty whenever I'm in an LGBT safe space because I'm able to trust strangers more than my own family. And I was raised to believe that family comes first. Of all the lies I've told, from sneaking an extra cookie to not showing my mother failed tests, this one feels the worst. I like to imagine that one day I'll be at my aunt and uncle's house for Thanksgiving. I'll be watching my little sisters play video games, and my cousin will turn and ask that question. I'll smile and say no, but there is this girl, and everything will be fine. Thanks for listening to Outcasting Overtime from Outcasting Media, creator of Public Radio's LGBTQ youth programs. Outcasting Media is a production of Media for the Public Good, based in New York. Our executive producer is Mark Sofas. Visit us at outcastingmedia.org to get information about outcasting, watch outcasting videos, access our social media links, and listen to outcasting and related content. You can also find outcasting wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jamie. Thanks for listening. Hi, this is Greg Luganis. I'm Margaret Cho. This is Edmund White. Hi, I'm Kate Quinton. I'm Irvishi Vad. Hello, I'm Armistead Maupin. I'm Clive Barker. This is Judy Shepard. I'm Dennis Shepard. Hello, this is Ian McKellen. I'm Jerry Jewell. I'm Stephen Fry. I'm Harvey Milk. Hi, this is Janice Ian. My name's Robbie Rogers. This is Essex Hemphill. I'm Ellen DeGeneres. I'm Tab Hunter. I'm Billy Bean. I'm Roman Kalin from Moscow. This is John Cameron Mitchell. Hello, I'm Bruce Valland. Hey, everybody, this is Lee Delaria. This is Bishop Gene Robinson. I'm Reverend Troy Perry. I'm Robbie Kaplan. I'm Andrew Sullivan. This is Augustine Burroughs. I'm Barney Frank. I'm Cleve Jones. My name is Kate Kendall. I'm Dan Savage. Hi, I'm Daryl Stevens. And you've discovered This Way Out. This Way Out. This Way Out. The international radio show for all our sexually diverse communities. How dare they? And those who love them. You ain't gonna get this nowhere else. Oh my. And that's the truth. Our listeners support This Way Out in many ways by subscribing to our e-newsletter and through your financial contributions to our program. More information about how you can give is online at thiswayout.org. Thank you. It's time for another This Way Out Rewind. Rewind. These days, it's all the rage for whacked-out far-right radicals to attack family-oriented drag shows, sometimes even violently. It may seem like a strange place to be in 2022, 
especially so long after RuPaul's Drag Race became a family fan favorite on TV. RuPaul has been challenging norms for even longer than that. Two years before Drag Race debuted in 2009, Mama Ru stepped off the runway to chat with This Way Out correspondent Dixie Trackle about the life that would eventually lead to international fame. you sure have been around the block a few times. Just a few times. Give us a little bit of your background. Tell us how you got into drag performing and, you know, what kind of entertaining you've been doing all these years. Well, you know, I've always been attracted to living outside the box and pushing the envelope. And my career has always been about counterculture. I like pop culture, too, but I really dig looking under the hood of something and seeing what really makes it tick. So, you know, when I was told as a kid that boys aren't supposed to play with those things and girls aren't supposed to do that, I thought, well, hmm, that's a great place to start, Mm -hmm. doing the things that I'm told not to do. Was this part of your coming out process, or did this actually happen later? Well, you know what, I was never really in the Mm -hmm. closet. You know, when I was a kid, kids in the neighborhood informed me that I was gay, and that was before I was even sexual or anything. I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm gay. So it was never really in the closet. Everybody knew that Rue was a sissy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But, you know, the drag thing, was it was never about a hidden desire or anything. It it had more to do with just pushing the envelopes. It's still not something that I do outside of work, outside of being paid. More like a character? Yeah, I guess just a different aspect of my own character, my own person. I think everybody mm-hmm. on this planet, there's really only one of us here, and we all represent different aspects of the same thing. So, you know, I was watching um, Oprah like at one o'clock in the morning here in New York, and they had that basketball player on who came out of the closet. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting because they played a comment by the other basketball player who said that he hated gay people and that he didn't want any gay people around him. And it was interesting that what I got out of the negative comment from the basketball player was that he is our teacher. He allows us to see a part of ourselves that we don't want to acknowledge. So Mm -hmm. in that respect, there's a bit of that guy in all of us. Rather than censure him or go after him, we need to look at those places in us and heal those places in each of us individually. My goal is to live my life and to express myself in the time I have on this planet and to enjoy myself. It's a beautiful gift. If other people can get something from it, I think rock on, lady. But my focus is on my experience here, you know? Yeah. It's selfish, but that's not a bad thing. There's even a RuPaul doll now. Yeah, she's quite gorgeous, too. She looks just like my sister, Renetta. (laughs) Tell us about Star Booty. Well, Star Booty is actually a character I created 20 years ago in Atlanta, Georgia. And in the vein of John Waters and Russ Myers, I grabbed my brother-in-law's home video camera and decided to make some movies. And I did that many years ago, and it became an underground cult hit. You know, in fact, characters followed me around for all these years since then. People will come up to me and say, oh... I saw your Star Booty movie on YouTube or whatever. (laughs) So I thought it was time, especially in these conservative 
politically mm-hmm. correct times we live in to mm-hmm. bring Star Booty back. And Star Booty really is a spoof on not only exploitation films, but it's a spoof on the self-righteous. Mm-hmm. Character Star Booty is very self-righteous. She takes it upon herself to right the wrongs of society in a vigilante-type mm-hmm. style. My character goes undercover as a hooker to rescue her kidnapped niece. And there's lots of gratuitous hair and makeup and <laughs> lots of gratuitous nudity and violence, but all with a funny uh, result. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you can be politically correct. You can be a mindful human being on this planet, and that's great. But that's your choice. You have a choice in this matter. And I don't like being browbeat into behaving a certain way because other people think this is how I should behave. Mm-hmm. You know, you look after your experience on this planet. I'll look after mine, and we'll just we'll call it a draw. A lot of my friends from the underground came out to do this movie. Some you may know, some you may not know. Lady Bunny, who I, I started out with in the early 80s mm-hmm. in Atlanta, Georgia, she plays a role in the film. And Candace Kane, who you probably know from the TV show Dirty Sexy Money, she plays the villainess in yes. this film. And then there are a lot mm-hmm. of... Male porn stars in it. Gus Maddox, who was Performer of the Year last year at the Gavian Awards. And Michael Lucas, who's another big porn star, no pun intended. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> uh, so a, a lot of the kids came out just because they want to support counterculture. They want to mm-hmm. support avant-garde and certain things that just aren't happening today. I would think that there'd be more of this kind of guerrilla filmmaking going on. But there really isn't. Not that I know. Hopefully it's going on somewhere. They came out to support that and to support my irreverent point of view. (laughs) (laughs) And there's also a soundtrack. I love music. I'm really obsessed with music. And Mm -hmm. and you ask any of my friends, they call me and they'll say, what are you doing? And they say, wait, Rue, let me guess. You're on your iTunes rearranging playlist. And they are absolutely right. I will record more stuff, but right now my focus is on the Star Booty soundtrack and Mm -hmm. I'm doing shows and performing around the country. Star Booty is going to be released on DVD. Yes. Will people then be able to get this in regular stores? Absolutely. Really, do yourself a favor and support counterculture and people who dance to the beat of a different drummer. There isn't enough of that. This movie really is a labor of love in that regard. You just go head on and live your life because it's a beautiful gift. That was This Way Out correspondent Dixie Trichel chatting with a pre-drag race RuPaul. For more info online about RuPaul's 2007 movie, search Star Booty. That's with two R's and two O's. Hi, I'm Brian DeShazer, CEO of This Way Out Radio and Overnight Productions, Inc. This Way Out has been selected as one of the first-year collections for the Library of Congress National Recording Preservation Board, Radio Preservation Task Force's new program, Sound Submissions. This means This Way Out programs will be preserved for future generations. You can help preserve the future of This Way Out. Email us at info at thiswayout.org to subscribe to our newsletter. Thank you for listening and for your support.
Thanks for choosing This Way Out, brought to you by the nonprofit Overnight Productions. Some programming material this week came from Tanya Kane Perry and Michael LeBeau, produced by Brian DeShazer, from Outcasters Jamie and Brianna, produced by Mark Sophus, and from our archives, Dixie Tricol. Sam Cook, the Thompson Twins, yes, the Doobie Brothers, and RuPaul performed some of the music you heard, and Kim Wilson composed the performed our theme music. This layout acknowledges the support of James Kennedy and Richard Merck and Brad Payton of Silicon Valley. Listener donors make this program possible. Thank you. Look for This Way Out Radio on social media, email info at thiswayout.org, or write to us at P.O. Box 1065, Los Angeles, California, 90078, USA. For associate producer Lucia Chappelle and everyone at This Way Out, I'm Greg Gordon. Thanks for listening online at thiswayout.org and on WSUM Madison, Wisconsin, KYRS Medical Lake Spokane, Washington. For BI, Fortitude Valley, Queensland, and a wide array of community terrestrial and internet radio stations around the world, including this one. Stay healthy, stay safe, and stay tuned.